Alice Senitar anlände från Frankrike. På scenen mötte hon Athena Faroxad. Datum 7 maj 2019. Mitt namn Ingemar Fast. Profession konstnärlig ledare för litteraturscenen på Kulturhuset Stadsteatern. Och så låter vi samtalet köra igång. A warm welcome to Stockholm. Thank you. You're here for the first time and you've been traveling around in Scandinavia. You were in Norway before, yeah. right? Uh, and welcome to Internationell Författarscen, International International Writers Stage. Uh, so you're a French novelist. Uh, you're also a translator. I just asked you, what have you translated? And you've translated from English the novels of Chris Kraus, who was also here recently at Internationell Författarscen. I love Dick and Summer of Hate. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and you're also a playwright. Uh, and from what I've understood, you have your own theater company where you're a director. Yes? Yes, that's right. That's wonderful. Um, so you've published five novels. Uh, and the first one was at the age of 16. You must be fed up with hearing about that, <laughs> hearing that mentioned all the time, but it is actually quite a remarkable thing. Well, I'm actually uh, more fed up with people showing the images that were filmed back at that time. I have seen them too, I must <laughs> confess. <laughs> um, so, and you have received numerous prizes and a lot of international attention, especially for your last book, L'Art de Perdre, The Art of Losing, Konsten att förlora, på svenska. So, The Art of Losing, It was published in 2017 in France, and it's translated to Swedish. Uh, it was published this year at Albert Bonisch Verlag by Cecilia Franklin, it's translated. And the book is an almost 500 pages long uh, novel, uh, which could be described as many things at the same time, right? Um, it, is, it is a family chronicle dealing with the three generations, um, a grandfather, a father, and a daughter, uh, speaking about sort of their fears, their shame, their preoccupations, their relationships, uh, and their sort of struggle in life. Uh, it is also at the same time a post-colonial narrative of 100 years, more or less, of uh, Algerian French history. Uh, and it is these things at the same time. Yes. Yes. Um, so, is it, would it be accurate to say that it begins before the, the Algerian independence war and ends after the attacks at uh, Bataclan and Charlie Hebdo? Yeah. And could you tell us briefly about these, hun these hundred years and how they take place in your novel? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, it's hard, uh, obviously. Um, no, I think I, I really wanted to take um, uh, like to take um, uh, a large angle uh, to look at uh, 
to look at what we call today in France only immigration, and it's not immigration at first, it's emigration. Mm. Uh, there is a country that you will live from, uh, that you that you will let behind you. Uh, and there was a time when this country was your whole life mm. and everything you knew uh, and, you know, your way of uh, of speaking, of laughing, of eating, uh, the distance you stand when you talk to someone, everything, it yeah. was... Uh, uh, it was hardwired in a way uh, that belongs to that country. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I guess I'm always amazed by, uh, uh, by the fact that you can change so many things mm. uh, so quickly, you know, because it's actually, yeah, it's actually quite a, um, you know, three generations, they can, they can uh, stand together in the same kitchen. Yeah. Uh, you know, they can, at, at some point, they belong to the same time. Uh, but the lives they, they have uh, are completely different. The way they see the world, the, say, the way they think about the world is completely different. And I guess, yeah, I wanted to, to paint this, this whole thing. Mm, and the broad perspectives. Yeah. But would you say there was also an, an, an ambition of, humanizing the migrant, because when you talk about sort of who was the migrant before they became a migrant, what was yeah. the life before? Was there such a sort of ambition? Yeah, uh, I, I started, so you know, I was, uh, I was already doing some research for the book, but I, I wasn't sure of the shape I would, uh, mm. I would give it. And, uh, and I read this book by uh, Nicole Lapierre called uh, Sauf qui peut la vie. And at the end of the book, uh, in, a, in, in sort of extra epilogue or something, uh, she, she talks about the migrants and, uh, and she says that the way they're um, dealt with, like not the way they're uh, welcome or not welcome, but the way they're talked about, mm -hmm. uh, it just it reduces them to a kind of a, a two-dimension life. Uh, so it reduces them to one name for uh, every one of them, you know, and it's migrant, uh, and it erases uh, like the diversity of their uh, trajectories. Uh, it reduces them sometimes, you know, to just numbers. Mm. Uh, and she says, like, we should tell their story like uh, we tell the, the Odysseus. Yeah, it's it's the same thing that it's you also quote in the book. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But it's the same thing. It's a long, long travel. You think you know that it will take no time. You think that it's just crossing a sea, but it's not. Uh, before you can say that you're home, it will take years. It will take like many adventures, and it will demand from you uh, like not not. The, the resignation of a victim, but you know, like the intelligence, like the mm. the shrewdness, the force, the strength, the courage, the mm. uh, the ability of uh, of adapting, and their heroes, like uh, like Ulysses was, mm. uh, and and I really loved this uh, this idea that. Uh, yeah, that it was it was the Odysseus. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned this because when I read your book, I thought a lot about sort of the knowledge that is produced in the margins, you know, the knowledge about how to sort of move and go about in society. That yeah. that is actually what you depict also, um, which could be the history of a migrant, but also the history of women or other, yes. or other marginalized sort of groups in society. Um, but okay, so let but let's say something particular about these <laughs> three particular adventurers or migrants, uh, these three generations of people. So it's the grandfather Ali, uh, the 
son, Hamid, and the granddaughter, yeah. Naima. So tell us briefly their life story, what happens? Because the book depicts all, their, all the three lives. Yeah, uh, well, Ali at first, he's a, he's a poor peasant uh, in the mountains in, in Kabylie, uh, and then by some turn of fate. Uh, which is actually quite bizarre. Yes, uh, which, is <laughs> which is actually something that I like because it's a true family story. And if it hadn't been, I would have never uh, written something like that, yeah. uh, which is that at some point the, the, when he's uh, bathing in the, in the river, uh, the river brings it some, uh, uh, some olive oil press, like a, a part of the wooden machine. For squeezing olive oil yeah. out of uh, olives. Yeah. And then you know, he takes it from the river, uh, puts it in his garden, and he becomes rich, uh, which is like a fairy tale story. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I would never invent such a thing <laughs> because no one would yeah. believe it, you know. Uh, but it's, it's actually yeah, one of the few stories that I, uh, that I heard from, uh, uh, from my family past, that it's how my grandfather became rich. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I put it in the book. Um, and um, and he's, um, uh, he's a war veteran, like uh, he had uh, fought in uh, uh, World War II. And so when, uh, uh, when starts what is not called uh, a war in Algeria at the time, it's like uh, in French we used to say just like the events. Mm. Um, when the events start, <laughs> uh, like he has, uh, yeah, he has many problems. So first, that because he's a war veteran, uh, he's, he's not allowed by the, uh, the huh, FLN is FNL? How, how do you say in, in English or in Swedish? Yeah, it's you same. just change the initial oh, place or how do you say FLN as well? FLN. FLN. FNL. Uh-huh. <laughs> because there's also the Vietnamese, right? Yeah. So uh, FLN, I'll say. <laughs> uh, so the FLN forbids the war veterans to get their, their pension because mm. uh, pension is given by the French and you shouldn't accept anything from the French. Uh, then it creates tensions, a murder. Uh, and, uh, and the thing is that at, yeah, in, in 62, uh, Ali is seen as having been uh, pro-French, and he has to, yeah, mm. and he has to leave the country uh, with his family, mm. uh, which is forbidden by the French authorities. Mm. Like they don't want, uh, they don't want the in indigenous population to uh, uh, to arrive in France. So, uh, so it's it's an adventure already to be able to to take a boat, uh, and in '62 they arrive in a country that doesn't want them. Uh, mm. And so they're, they're put in, uh, uh, in camps, re- mm. kind of refugee camps. First in the south of France. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, first in, in Rivesalt, then in another camp, still in the south of France, and then in, a, um, in projects uh, in, a, in a city in, a, in Normandy. Mm. Uh, and that's the second part of the book, and we follow Hamid. Yes. Uh, so who His son, Alex's yeah, son. Uh, who is becoming a, a, a teenager in France. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and he becomes the father of the family because he's the only one who knows how to read and write. Mm. Uh, and uh, um, Maybe we should also say that he has nine siblings in the end. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah, he's, he's the oldest of, uh, mm. of the ten. Uh, and so, yeah, he's the father of quite a family. Mm. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, 
and yeah, that's the that's the story of um, of him becoming more and more uh, strange to the little boy who he used to be mm. in Algeria. So you know, he doesn't speak Arabic anymore. He he feels like you know he feels far away from uh, from his parents. He uh, he stops being religious uh, and uh, yeah, and he longs for something else, like a bigger life than the one they have in mm. the projects. Yes. Uh, he doesn't want to be like, you know, working in a factory like his father does. Mm. He and he's quite successful. He's a successful child of migrants, let's say, because yeah. he conquers this uh, that his father has dreamed for him to sort of belong to. Yeah, which is still like, uh, you know, it's, uh, if, you, if you look at it like a, Basically, he accomplishes everything his parents could dream uh, could dream of, but it's like what immigrant parents could dream for an immigrant child. Mm. Like basically, no one, no one even considers for a moment that he can go to uh, the university and mm. get a master degree. Like mm. you know, like uh, uh, he completed high school. It's already something so yeah. big. It's already such an achievement. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and Hamid will at some point meet Clarisse, um, and they will fall in love, uh, and they will have four daughters, and Naima is one of them. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and, and the book begins and ends with her. Yeah, mm. yeah, and she's uh, uh, she's um, like basically she grew up without Algeria. Or, or like a, a, such a such a little bit such a personal version of Algeria mm. uh, that it, it I don't know I can't I can't say that it doesn't count but because it it counts <laughs> it matters uh, but yeah basically she grew up with no transmission like yeah. uh, uh, Hamid didn't teach her or, or uh, his daughters Arabic he didn't teach. Uh, them anything about Algeria. He didn't tell them the, the story of the family. They, uh, basically, she doesn't know anything mm. from the two first parts of the novel, yes. uh, which is something that I really like, like yes. that the reader, uh, you know, can uh, can get all the information, and at the yeah. end, you're like, yeah, but. This and character. you also actually write that. Yeah, I, w I was very yeah. intrigued because somewhere in the book it says Hamid wants to know. We're we talking about Hamid. Hamid wants to know what happened in the first part of the book, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, yeah. we'll, we'll come to that later. Which is a way of sort of screwing up the narration <laughs> in, in, in a very interesting way. Yes, but Algeria is still a, a crucial part in her life somehow. Uh, well, it's or <laughs> it. It is and it is not. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, what she calls Algeria, it's, uh, uh, it's her grandmother. and, yes, uh, and, and her looks. Yeah, and her looks. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, a few things like, you know, like uh, uh, flavors, smells, mm. uh, things like that. Mm. But she doesn't know anything about the country. She doesn't know anything about the history. And she's not that much interested in it. Uh, yeah. And she gets actually pissed off by the fact that uh, people are kind of uh, somehow trying to give her Algeria back all the time. And at some point, uh, her boss, who is also her lover, mm. uh, will do that. He will send her to Algeria yes. uh, to look for drawings from an Algerian painter. And he does that like it's the most marvelous gift <laughs> uh, who mm. could ever happen to, to, to her. 
uh, but she will go very, very reluctantly. Mm. Yes. And uh, I, I think I should stop and create some suspense. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but I don't think uh, spoilers apply to your novel, because <laughs> even though you know the entire story, the point of it is not actually the story, but it's sort of the, the gaze of these characters upon their lives and their societies, I yeah. would say. But I want to ask you more about the narration, but I wanted to read a small passage. It's, it's where Naima talks about and lists her fears. På svenska. Det händer att Naima istället för att räkna får innan hon ska somna gör en lista över egna och ärvda rädslor. Till de rädslor hon ärvt av Hamid hör rädslan för att begå språkliga fel. Rädslan för att uppge sitt namn för vissa personer, särskilt om de är över 70 år. Rädslan för att någon ska fråga henne vilket år hennes familj kom till Frankrike. Rädslan för att bli betraktad som terrorist. Mm. That's, that's sort of her small list of fears. But I, feel, I find, you know, there is something at the same time very intimate and distanced in the narration of this book. Uh, which I want to ask you about because I find it intriguing, sort of the the, the perspective from which it is told. Uh, it is told in the form of a third-person perspective. Uh, we feel close to Ali and Hamid and, and Naima. Uh, and at the same time, uh, just as they, Naima is in the list, um, they are distanced characters, I would say, um, because... Uh, the book is actually about distance, about sort of a great distance between these different family members and a great distance between them and Algeria and, the sto and sort of their, their histories and also a distance between them and the French society. So although there is this constant play with intimacy and distance, I would say, in the book, which I find intriguing. Um, so could you tell me something about sort of the, the the perspective from which the novel is told. Um, this third-person perspective, and there is also an eye, hmm. a strange, peculiar eye that, <laughs> that shows up once in a while in the novel, very rarely, actually. Why is that? Um, so I think, you know, like, when I started to, to write this novel, uh, I... I wrote a novel that um, that I had missed uh, for mm. my entire life mm. uh, because there was no one to tell me this story, mm. like not in my family, not um, in the not in the history class that I had in school, and that they, they were, you know, well, it was always too uh, too brief about Algeria colonization, the war, etc., etc., mm. uh, and not. Not in the uh, not in the culture around me. Like you know, like at some point I realized like I've never I've never seen a movie on TV or in the cinema or I've never read a novel mm -hmm. which was about that. Yes. And from the perspective of uh, of the the people who would become later Algerians, you know, like uh, uh, from the perspective of of the Arabs or the Kabyles or mm. um, like I I yeah. I, 
I hadn't met anything mm. that could teach me this uh, this story. So, so I wanted to write uh, a novel which could be that uh, tw 20 years too late. <laughs> uh, and Why do you uh, say that 20 years too late? Because it was for me, but you know, because ah. I was the one writing it. Uh, well, uh, I wouldn't really be the one reading it by chance. Mm. Um, the novel that you would have needed 20 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and because you know, like, uh, because I thought, okay, this is this is a, a novel I would, you know, I would have loved to read to tell me the story. Then, uh, then I get really like uh, bulimic about all the things it should uh, yeah. include, like yeah. you know. So uh, it should be it should be the the, the story of uh, of the people that. Uh, that were called Harkis, and why they had to leave Algeria in '62. The story of the camps, the story of uh, Algerian immigration in France. Uh, but then, you know, why why did the war start in the first place? So it should be able to tell things about colonization. Mm. You know what happened in 1830 as well. Uh, but none of my characters can actually know about it because they're illiterate, uh, mm. and, uh, and and of course they don't have history books. So uh, so you know it cannot be it cannot be told by the characters. Uh, and uh, and I want uh, you know and I want the reader to imagine what really life is on top of the mountain. So I was reading like uh, geography books and botanic books. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I was thinking like I should tell. <laughs> yeah. I should tell about that. And that's, so it was obvious after a while that my narration should be, you know, uh, sh should be able to tell uh, the, the story from far away and then zoom in to be with the characters and zoom out to, to tell something else like a, uh, like yeah, I got a kind of a, a, a frenzy of telling the, the story, t telling. Uh, this is why the book is so long, you know. <laughs> like uh, basically, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like it was my my shot, it was my window to tell the story. <laughs> so I wanted to tell it all, and in the same time, I wanted to, uh, you know, like I was telling. Uh, this completely crazy bulimic uh, story, but in the same time, it was something about silence, mm. uh, and it was yes. something about not getting the story uh, when I was younger, or when you know, or when Hamid grew up, or when Naima grew up. So I, I needed to tell the reader that basically what I was telling him or her, mm. it was, um, it was, how would you say that? Uh, like it, it, it was actually kind of a, a, a privilege they had, mm. uh, like a luxury they had, that someone would uh, uh, would try to whisper the whole thing, uh, but that they, they, should, um, they should remember that the other characters, uh, basically, they, yeah, they, they don't have it. And, and, and it's not just, not just transmission, it's understanding as well. Uh, like, uh, like, basically, uh, I was really, yeah, I was really shocked when I realized that, you know, like, a, a, the question, why didn't my grandfather take the side of independence, mm. would actually have had no meaning at all for my grandfather. Mm. Like, independence yeah. uh, had no meaning. War had no meaning. Like, the FLN had no meaning. Like, basically, all he knew was his village. Um, and so, like, to talk about a state, a nation, the independence of a nation, uh, like, what does that mean? Yeah. What the hell does that mean? I mean, uh, it, it's not—it's it's clearly not what was 
going on in his life. And so it was, you know, taking the question from the wrong angle. Um, Oh. And so, so even the characters present, you know, like even even when you leave the event, even when you witness the event, you don't get the full meaning. Mm. Uh, the meaning comes later. Mm. Um, and uh, and so yeah, so I I thought I needed to tell the reader that, that you know the characters at the present moment they don't get the meaning of it, mm. and the characters who will arrive later they don't get the transmission mm. of the witnessing. Uh, so it's really because there is novelist and novel readers that such a transmission <laughs> yes. can uh, uh, can happen. And uh, yes. and what about the I then? Is the I the novelist? Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. At first, actually, the, when uh, when I finished, I think that the second version there was one uh, occurrence in which the I was. Uh, was really me, like me with a life and a body, the and uh, yeah, and I was saying something about my life, mm. and uh, and I was reading it aloud to my uh, to my boyfriend, uh, who was patient enough to uh, listen to me for <laughs> reading for 500 pages, yes. and giving me feedbacks, uh, and uh, and he said like, wow, that's not possible, mm. like I don't know, you know. I, it's either the novelist or, or, you, or you create a whole character, but that's not possible. Like, wh who is this I who suddenly is telling something about her life in Paris and uh, mm. uh, you need to make things clear. Like, uh, it's like, you know, someone I don't know just entered the room, yeah, <laughs> walked yeah. in and walked out. Um, and so so <laughs> yeah. I thought, okay, so I is the novelist. I use the I to, uh, well, basically to talk about what I'm doing as a as a puppet master. Mm. Uh, yes. Yeah. Right. To say as well that this is yeah this is what's happening. Like basically, I don't you know I'm not able to tell this story because I'm uh, uh, the daughter and the granddaughter of uh, of immigrants yes. of Harkis. Well, that's uh, a very good It's because I'm a novelist. Actually. Yeah. The puppet theater. It's because you both, as a spectator, you both see the characters as yeah. these puppets, but also sort of the person holding them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you you said that you wrote the book that you needed to read 20 years ago, uh, and I'm interested in that notion because I wanted to ask you uh, because I think when it comes to literature. Um, there's always a reason why a story is written here and now. Uh, there's always a reason why it wasn't written 20 years ago or in, in, in two decades, let's say. So what is it about sort of history, uh, contemporary history, that made the art of uh, failure possible right now? Well, frankly, I think it's different. Uh, like, there, I think there is a lot of different reasons. Um, yeah. So one, if like, if you wanna, uh, if you wanna take a look at why it didn't happen before, mm. uh, it's well, I would say it's mostly because uh, the children of uh, uh, of Harkis uh, got a very poor education. Like, mm. to start your life in a camp is not 
the best way to get a, a proper education. Uh, and then, uh, and even if you get a proper education, writing novels, it is a bit of a bourgeois horizon. Like, you know, it's not something you can tell your family and they say, like, good for you, that's such a great idea. Like, writing novels, you will be Jean-Paul Sartre, mon fils. <laughs> it's, it's like, no, like, you know, get a real job. It's, we're, we're already in a frail position in this country, so, you know, like, uh, uh, be, be serious, get working. So, so it takes time for, uh, for writing novels to, to become like something that you can really dream about and then do. Mm. Um, it, it takes time to, uh, to think that you, uh, you can do it with the language as well. Yeah. Like, you know, I see the way my father treats French. It's, uh, it's like French is uh, an old ambassador with white hair and you know like uh, you, you you always being very polite and you don't you know like you don't touch it and uh, uh, you always offer him a seat you know it's it's this kind of uh, uh, yeah very distant very polite relationship and then you know my sisters and I were, were you know, we are swearing and we are, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are using slang and we're thinking like it's not a big deal. You it's have to um, have a certain disrespect yeah, for language exactly. in order to be able to write. <laughs> that you can write. Mm. Um, so there is that. There is, uh, you know, in the big picture as well, there is the fact that uh, I don't think publishing houses were interested in this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, if, if they published it, it was like, you know, it was not novels, it was not fiction, it's... Uh, it's témoignages, uh, you know, like memoirs, witness things, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it would be always like short books, kind of cheap, ugly books, like, you know, who will, who will be interested in that? Your family? Okay, like I print a hundred yeah. with an ugly picture on the cover. Uh, and no, I, I'm sorry, and I think, you know, like, I think it took actually time. I think it took as well uh, a broad success, mm -hmm. uh, like Shimamanda uh, like, uh, Ngozi Adichie, you know, yes. like uh, when you, French people... have you been compared to, actually, in the Swedish reception? Ah, yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's true, like, you know, like French publishers saw that and they started thinking, like, uh, I don't know, don't we need something about uh, young uh, women with rage issues, <laughs> yeah. uh, also, you know, like, uh, just like getting a bit out of the, out, out of the trails of the Parisian white bourgeois novel or this kind of thing. Uh, and, and I think there is now a, a space for, uh, uh, for novels um, about double culture, immigrations, yeah. uh, um, you know, like a, a skin color consideration that didn't exist uh, 20 years ago, that's for sure. Uh, and, and then, as for this peculiar book, uh, why now? It's as well because, well, because of, for me, it's because of the migrant situation. Hmm. I mean, basically, we are watching the same thing uh, happening again. Mm. Uh, if you want to like, uh, talk about a strict uh, like a pa parallel, uh, basically some of the people trying to get in France are uh, translators who worked for the French army in Afghanistan and they are threatened and they are killed in Afghanistan because they worked for the French army as translators mm. and we don't let them in. Mm. Uh, it's exactly the same thing. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and if, you know, in a less exact comparison, uh, the, the 
the people that we call the migrants, like in 62 we call them the Harkis, like depriving them of, uh, of a history because of a name too vague. Uh, it's just, yeah, just the same thing. We build camps yeah. for them, so far away from cities that we can forget they exist. Mm. I mean, in 62, Harkis were welcomed in camps that were supposed to be transitory, mm. like one year, two years stop. Mm. Uh, some of them still existed 30 years after. Mm. It's exactly, you know, it's exactly the same. Like basically right now I'm thinking if you build something where everyone can forget it, then it will last forever. Uh, you know, it yeah. will last till, it, way of putting till it. it decays, mm. uh, and then and then in 50 years, someone will write a novel about it, and then people are like, "Oh, I didn't know." Yeah. That's so funny to think, like you know, it happened in my country, and I could not know about it. Mm. Um, when I hear you speak, I think about responsibility. I think that you sort of circle around the topic of responsibility a lot, both sort of the political responsibility when it comes to the, the political situation of today. Uh, but also when you talked about this frenzy, you know, the frenzy of putting it all, all there, it's also the responsibility of putting it all there somehow. Uh, but I want to ask you about sort of the responsibility when it comes to the personal and, and the personal memory. Because when, when I read the book, it's, you feel that it's a very well-researched book. You know, that the, the actual historical, geographical details are very important and that it's somebody who's done her homework but doesn't want to show it off. You know? <laughs> it's in the background, which, which is very sort of uh, pleasant for the reader. Uh, so it feels very well researched, but it also feels very well lived, <laughs> if one can put it that way. Um, it's, I, mean, I don't want to ask you about your own family story because I don't think it's relevant, but I, I think that when you read the book, you, you can't stop um, thinking about that these sort of memories are actual memories because they are so um, detailed uh, that they can't, I mean, with the olive press squeezer, for instance, you know, it's things that, that are not fictional, you know, that can't be, be made up. And all these details that are often quite humorous also feel sort of lived, you know, that they're very close to experience itself. Uh, and also ways of speaking, you know, um, that th these family members use. So. I want to ask you about sort of the responsibility towards these memories, these actual memories, these actual lived details. Um, have, you, have you dealt with that sort of, and have you had any hesitations when it comes to using the memories, which are maybe your memories or, or sort of the collective memory, memory of a family? Mm. There is um, um, so th there isn't that many uh, memories from the family because uh, because I didn't uh, yeah I didn't get to listen to a lot of uh, of stories when uh, when I grew up uh, so most of them uh, I made up mm. some of them I borrowed from people who weren't. Uh, who weren't from my uh, my family, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, of course, I I hesitated uh, a lot when uh, when writing. 
first because uh, first because uh, so my father is actually the oldest one in uh, 15. So that means I have a lot of aunts, uncles, cousins, mm. uh, and I didn't know I didn't know what they knew about the family story, and I didn't know uh, neither what they would tell around them, mm. uh, because uh, because being a harky is uh, in 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 certain groups is being a traitor. Uh, is being a collaborator, uh, and Bouteflika said, like you know, it was like a, yeah. uh, like being a collaborator under the uh, Nazi occupation of France. So you know, it's, yeah. So it's quite a violent thing. So was it, you know, like was it outing my yeah. grandfather, yeah, yeah. my dead grandfather, yeah. and putting my family in trouble? I had to, uh, I had to to think about it. Uh, I talked to my dad about it a lot. Mm. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, I don't think I could have done it if uh, if I knew that it was against mm, uh, the will. yeah the the will of the family or the good being of the family. Uh, some things you know I was asked to not put in the novel and uh, I, I didn't put them in it. Uh, and uh <laughs> and uh, my father made the whole family swear that no one will ever tell my grandmother that um, uh, there is a scene in the book in which uh, it said that he sh she shop underwear, you know, like by big stocks and that they all wear the same. The boys uh, and the girls yeah, wear the same. All wear the same panties uh, because she mm. would die of shame. Mm. Uh, so, you know, everyone pretends that this scene doesn't exist in the book. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Uh, you know, I, I, actually, it's fun. It's funny for me because I, I really tried. You know, like a, a basically what really came from the family. I tried to change it, so I changed the number of kids. I changed their names, so no one could recognize himself or herself for sure. Mm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, all these you know precautions that I took, I didn't actually. I didn't need to to take them because uh, because they were happy. Uh, and uh, mm. and in the larger scale as well, like it's something that I really uh, that I really enjoy. Like basically, I I told my family story, but I told uh, the story of uh, the like uh, um, a lot of families in the projects and in other parts of France, mm. uh, and uh, and they were proud about it, and they were proud about. What actually is a social stigma in yeah. France today, yeah. and that was something like that was something quite amazing for me to see uh, some of these people coming to a book festival, coming to bookshops, mm. to to places where for someone they have uh, for, for some like they have never set foot mm. because it's it's too it's too far away. It's not for them. It's yeah. you know it's uh, uh, it's cultural. It's elitistic. It's it's French, it's uh, <laughs> uh, and they would you know show up and say like we're the projects, uh, you know like we're in the book, it's about us, mm. um, which had never happened before, like you know like uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and it was uh, actually it was great to see that mm. uh, it was I really enjoyed that. Mm. <laughs> 
yes, yeah. I can understand. It's, and it's, you know, it's, it made me realize as well that basically it's a 500 pages book uh, when you, you get someone who, you know, who hasn't read uh, since school, yeah. like an old woman, to read a 500 pages book. Yeah. Uh, somehow you realize that, yeah, if it's about them, uh, people will make the effort to read yeah. if it seems like another world uh, and uh, yeah if it if it seems to be like you know something like it's not it's not meant for you like mm. and, and you're not meant for literature either yeah. uh, then then they will never read I mean you know, wh yeah. why why should they actually but let me ask you about language yes. when it comes to this uh, because we talked a bit about the narrator and the, the fact that it's a tricky narrator that shows up once in a while in the form of an eye in a peculiar way uh, and also seems to want to mess up with the fiction <laughs> uh, in a way that I find intriguing. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in the language of the book um, because when I started reading it I thought it was you know um, very um, recognizable epic prose you know uh, speaking of Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie you know uh, the, sort of the the the, uh, the count of you know a family of the generational story uh, but then after a while I thought wait a minute <laughs> there's something odd with the language uh, because the, the the novel consists of a lot of, I would describe it this way, a lot of subordinate phrases, a lot, <laughs> uh, dashes, parentheses, yeah. lists. It is almost as if the writer um, has tried to squeeze in as much information as possible, you know. All of a sudden it sort of freaks out the language in long lists and subordinate phrases and parentheses and blah, blah, blah. So what's up with that? Um, well, that's that's that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wanted so you know as I, as I said, I wanted to say many things, uh, and I wanted to uh, I I wanted to say it without uh, uh, how do you call that uh, foot, foot page notes, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. like at the bottom of the page footnotes, yeah. footnotes, yeah. Uh, because. Uh, there is something too, uh, too academic uh, yeah. about them, and I didn't want the reader to think that it was an academic project. Um, so yeah, so you have to squeeze in the narration yeah. uh, every, everything that you want to say. And because the narrator uh, is uh, playing uh, as well with the fact that, uh, well, I'm playing with the fact that I'm a narrator and that I, I make up things. Uh, so that means as well, like there is a lot of maybes yeah. and, and a lot of would, uh, you know, like maybe, yeah, of if, uh, you know, if she had known about that, she would have, but oh she yeah. doesn't know, so she doesn't do the conditionals. Yeah, so like a tiny scenes that, yeah. uh, that are created and die immediately. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. But I mean, because all these things are quite complicated ways of writing prose, right? And then you also mentioned the fact that you sort of felt responsibility towards the people that you depict in the book. So it was also accessibility hmm. uh, when it comes to language an issue for you? Yeah, um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I've been thinking for years about, yeah. uh, about <laughs> what I, w yeah, what do I want to write in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of uh, accessibility, actually. 
because uh, 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 because accessibility is also a tricky notion. I mean, what do you say when you yeah when you state that you want something to be accessible for somebody about sort of their yeah ability of comprehension? Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a tricky question. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, and and basically <laughs> basically the the only like a uh, the only test the only limit that i, I put myself uh is to, like to think okay even if there is like brackets and uh, uh and and all these bits of narration uh mm. turning my uh, novel into a kind of furry uh weird thing uh like i need to be able to read aloud the sentence yeah. and not get lost yeah. Uh, if I can do that, mm. then uh, uh, then it will be a fluent reading. Because this is the thing that I want. Like basically, um, I want the reader to be able to go through the sentence and maybe thinking like, oh, it's a bit crazy and it goes like this way and that way. And uh, but you know, like not to mm. not to throne and uh, uh, and and put the book aside and think like I don't understand shit. Yeah. Uh, th this is yeah, yeah. Uh, you know like. Uh, but but it's you, you never know like basically you you never know if yeah. you're going too far on or not far enough mm. um but i think that's interesting um also because language is a huge theme in the book itself yeah uh, because i would say that one of the main topics of the book is social mobility yeah. and how migration exactly. is yeah. always class degradation somehow yeah. uh, and it implies sort of the the young generations climbing you know trying to get ahead that we talked about before and and um, language is intimately linked to that you know being able to master the master's language yeah. is is the sign of um, accessibility somehow uh, so there's a great sort of play with language in the book mm. yeah and actually there was yeah so it was this thing uh I don't know. I did this. <laughs> I did this weird thing uh, that, you, like, in the first part. Yeah. So the part in which actually the characters should uh, uh, should talk with uh, uh, the the least or the smallest vocabulary, because uh, you know they they, they don't they, read and write. They don't read and write. Mm. Yeah, uh, and they have you know like a kind of a, a small life. So. Mm. Uh, if it's not about the olive trees, if it's not about the village, then they don't talk about it. But yeah. it's it's the part um, the part in which the narration is the most like flamboyant. Yes, uh, mm. because uh, because actually everything they need to name mm. it's it's exotic and complicated for the French ear. So so you know so the narration is actually like a, a like. A, a paraphernalia of uh, uh, of all these words that you've never heard of, you've never seen on a page, mm. uh, and 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 it gives you like uh, the idea of uh, of wealth, even if their language is supposed to be poor. Mm. Uh, and in the third part, actually, it's more or less written uh, like the narration and 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 Naima's talk. Mm. Uh, they're the same because you yeah, know, like uh, uh, it's it's an everyday life if you uh, you know if you live in a in a European capital. Mm. Uh, so there is this, uh, uh, and there isn't this blossoming language when it comes to the landscape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
<laughs> I read somewhere that um, you started writing together with your sisters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that I found fascinating that you rewrote passages in novels that you found unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, The Three Musketeers of yes. Alexandre Dumas. Constance Bonacieux should not have died. <laughs> uh, she should have married D'Artagnan. That's right. Uh, that's <laughs> my point. Uh, like you know, it's stated. But I thought it was such a wonderful way of sort of this appropriation of the history of literature as a way of becoming a writing subject. Um, would you say that there is still this element uh, of rewriting other people's sort of work or rewriting uh, existing stories? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I'm not. Um, I'm not very big on, uh, on the, the, like, you know, like, uh, writing is like a, a creative gesture, like, you know, like, a, uh, I create things out of nowhere. I'm, uh, like, basically, yeah, I'm the god of my own little universe. Uh, You're not big on that. No. No. Uh, no. It's, I, I, I wanted that. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of admired that in writers when I was a kid, but, uh, uh, but what I do, Somehow, I feel that it's always an act of transmission. Yeah. Uh, you know that it's 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 turning things uh, that are like you know like a, of different of very different um, uh, natures. Like you know that they can be uh, uh, they, they they can be uh, uh, feeling senses. Uh, they they can be history books. They can be uh, uh, yeah. They can be tales that. You know, people uh, told me about their past life, or that, and and I'm just turning that into something which can be read and shared mm. uh, by a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's quite it's quite a humble it's quite a humble task. Uh, it's and yeah, I I think it might be a bit deceptive, uh, you know, as well, like for people, like basically, it's it's not that far away from stealing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, I you agree. know, it's like a, uh, <laughs> except that, yeah, you kind of turn to things you stole into something else, uh, and uh, and I'm not afraid to say that, you know, like I yeah. took it from other people, so I guess it's not exactly stealing. I hope. I think it's Sarah Kane who says that she comes from the honourable tradition of literary kleptomania. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I studied her <laughs> uh, yeah, years ago, so maybe I took that as well from her. So that's, you know, stealing yeah. a stealer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious about the Kabylian sort of theme in the book, because I think that is the part that I learned the most from, uh, you know, as a person who sort of lived and studied in France and knows a bit about French history, also know a bit about Algerian history, but the Kabylian aspect of it uh, was was sort of um, interesting to me. Uh, because what I was thinking about was it that it is the book is actually not about an Arab-Algerian family um, that become uh, Arab Algerian migrants in France, uh, but it is about a Kabylian family. Which to me means that when I read about it, I thought about the fact that these people, this family, already belong to a minority. Yeah. Which I think is very crucial 
in this story, which means that when they come to France they, and they become migrants, they already have the experience of belonging to a minority, I mean, in terms of power, in terms of language, and so on, um, which I think is very crucial. Um, could you say something about that? <laughs> uh, <coughs> I think that for, for me, uh, what was, what was uh, uh, interesting, what was appealing uh, in them being Kabyle was actually the fact that um, this, uh, this minority will kind of disappear in France. Uh, like it, it makes the whole um, it makes the whole thing of uh, you know like if you give um, people only one name you will erase their singularity and it's it's the same like you know uh, in France they're the Arabs yeah. even if they're not Arabs yeah. uh, uh, they're they're the immigrants they're, and actually when they uh, f from the the second part they stop speaking. Uh, Amazir, so they stop speaking Kabyle. Yeah. They, they, they speak Arabic only. Because it, but it's interesting because in the first part, the family them, themselves they speak about the others as them, the Arabs. Yeah. And then they become them. Yeah. Somehow. And it's it's something that uh, actually it's it's one of the reason why uh, uh, why Ali is and kin on the. Uh, independence thing, like uh, it's yeah. uh, it's an uh, Arabic identity-related uh, movement, and uh, and he doesn't feel yeah he doesn't feel like it's a good thing. It's another yeah, yeah. Uh, it's another invasion or colonization uh, mm. for for him. So it's the sort of liberation movement of the oppressors. Could you say that? Yeah, for them. Yeah, uh, and uh, and as well, like I, I wanted them to to be. Uh, I wanted them to be Kabyle because uh, because when when I went to uh, uh, to Algeria myself, uh, there was something in the in the Kabylian movement uh, mm. of uh, of rebellion today that really that really um, uh, pleased me. Uh, that really mm. made me happy. Uh, like I am. Um, you know, I went to Algeria thinking, you know, like, uh, will I feel something? Uh, will it be, will it be meaningful? Uh, you know, like, uh, do I have, do I have to feel something special? Uh, will I feel close to the people there? And uh, and when I arrived in uh, in in Kabylia, I met a lot of people who were, you know, like, fighting to keep their language, to create in their language, uh, to keep their music, uh, to keep uh, some, of, uh, some of their traditions, uh, and, um, and in a very selfish way, uh, the, <laughs> the way they, the, the way they, you know, like, uh, they put out their rebellion uh, against uh, the Arabic state, uh, and the more and more Islamic state was uh, that you could drink alcohol outside in Kabylie even when you were a woman, which wasn't possible in Algiers, which made me feel way more at ease in Kabylie than I had mm. felt in Algiers. Uh, you know, and I could, I could go out without a veal, I could, uh, uh, yeah, and drink my beer and smoke my cigarettes. Uh, and, uh, and, yeah, and, and feel like the resistance. So, mm. so I realized, like, 
basically that it's not about my family, it's not, it's not about blood, it's not about uh, origins, it's as well about, it's, it's more about uh, your uh, cultural, political background, the way you were, and the way you were educated, and, uh, and basically I was educated by a left-wing family, and I was uh, like uh, given some values I stick to, which is like you're always on the side of the people fighting. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and so I arrived in Kabylie and I was like, I don't have to ask myself if I come from here, they're fighting, I'm on their <laughs> side, and they drink, I'm <laughs> so on their side. Um, so yeah, I can't remember what I was saying, <laughs> why I was saying that. <laughs> but, um, Let me ask you about Yama. I have yeah. to ask you about Yama. Uh, she is the wife of Ali, actually the third wife, but the first one who gives yeah. him sons. So the wife who sticks, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the mother of uh, Hamid and his nine siblings and the grandmother of um, Naima. Uh, and, you know, in a way, when you read the story, you understand that uh, Yama is not a central figure in the story, you know. Uh, that she is, uh, she's a side character somehow in, in the actual political events that take place. You know, she... Uh, her, her husband sort of decides their stand in, yeah. in the sort of political situation. She becomes a migrant in France as a result of him having to leave Algeria and so on. But you write the book with Yama as one of your um, main characters, I would say. So it would be wrong not to mention Yama. <laughs> Right, yeah. uh, because she is, she's, I mean, within these three generations, she's always there. And she is sort of very central to when it also comes, also when it comes to the political understanding of what takes place. Um, and she's also a lovely person. Yeah, she is. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, why, why is Yama so important in this story? Well, it was a tricky thing in, uh, uh in writing the novel that, you know, basically I wanted to tell, uh, to tell this story from a different perspective, so, you know, for, for, and from the perspective of the people who never appear in, uh, in books, whether they are history books or novels. Uh, and so, like, being, uh, being an indigenous is already one thing, but being an indigenous woman, like, you, yeah. <coughs> you're out, uh, yeah. you're out of the books. Uh, except for a few. And so, you know, that was the thing, like, do I create a female character uh, who is like a common one uh, at that time, so who is actually excluded from the political conversation, decisions, uh, so, you know, like, she belongs to the house. Mm. Uh, she, she's, uh, yeah, she's like a, a domestic yeah. uh, being. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, and, and her name is Yema, so, you know, she's the mother. Uh, she doesn't even have a, a, a real name. Um, so do I create someone like her? But then, you know, it's kind of hard to tell the story of the war and the, uh, uh, and, and the rest of it uh, through her, her eyes, because she doesn't, uh, she doesn't choose or act on her own, yeah. uh, or do I create a character who is more involved, but then, uh, but then, I don't know, like, like I would be talking about an extraordinary 
uh, women, mm. and uh, and these women they existed, but some of them already, you know, like uh, uh, they they already were talked about. So I really wanted to yeah. choose someone no one would write about because she, mm. uh, at first, you know, like you look at her and you think she does nothing, but yeah. being at home and raising the kids and, uh, um, mm. but yeah, uh, I. Actually, I, I, I love this character. I love yes. asking so I. myself what it is to have her life, like, uh, and, and, and bear no resentment uh, uh, at all. Uh, and, uh, and it's sort of like, you know, so some, some of the scenes I, I, I created around sentences that my own grandmother said and that were like mysteries for for me and that I created the character around these sentences like like, uh, what, for like I, when I asked her if she had loved my grandfather she said I loved him for the kids he gave me mm. uh, and that's in the book and you know I was thinking like what kind of love is that but we don't when we say love my grandmother and me we don't talk about the same thing at all mm. so what does it yeah what does it mean for her um, mm. and so yeah to try to to create this thing, this, um, uh, this, this life of, uh, of giving, of repeating, of, uh, of organizing and, uh, uh, and being absolutely loved actually by the kids, by the, but never, never really recognized. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and being, you know, like uh, being so devoid of uh, uh, of your right to speech. So for Yema, you know, the, the thing is uh, the, like the impossibility to to speak. It's uh, it's it's crazy. I mean, you know, like uh, when Naima meets her, when <laughs> when uh, when Naima arrives, like uh, basically Yema is an old woman who has never learned French, yeah. uh, and uh, and who is a woman. Uh, so. No one will ask her, you know, like, uh, would you please sit down and tell her, tell us your opinion about what happened in Algeria, you know. Uh, so, so it's very peculiar as well, uh, and yeah, and just sometimes, sometimes, like sentences like that arrive, and you understand that uh, uh, it's yeah, it's way more than uh, just uh, the hand that feeds you. Mm. Uh, and there is this other, yeah, this other sentence as well that I got from my grandmother and I think uh, that it stick for me, uh, with me for the whole time that I was uh, writing the book and it's in the thing as well, where, which is like when I, I told her, I asked her if she wanted me to take her to, to Algeria uh, and uh, she said like, there is no way I'm going home and I'm sleeping in a hotel. Yeah. Uh, and, and then she said that I realized actually like everything that was lost, that it was not, it was not, you know, like, a, it was not about being or not being able to cross the sea back. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was as, like, you know, what was lost was being young, uh, being young and beautiful, yeah. uh, and, uh, and being the first one to have given a son, and having a nice house, and, uh, uh, and being envied by the others mm. uh, and being able to tell herself that even if she was married without being, you know, asked any kind of opinion and even if she spent her whole life having kids and that, like, that was something that was desirable 
And the proof of that was that it was desired by other women around her. Yeah. Uh, and all of that she lost. Uh, and uh, and yeah, and she 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 could never go back to it. Like uh, like mm. even if uh, you know, even if I was telling her that space can be crossed, yeah, but time cannot. So that's uh, that's lost for all. So me and my travel and my you know like uh, we can go back to Algeria, Emma. It's mm. it was it was silly. Uh, I mean, I, I had missed some point. I could go on until midnight and ask <laughs> Me <you> too. questions. <laughs> so I will ask one last question. <laughs> um, because I was thinking uh, of uh, other writers who have recently been translated from French to Swedish and thinking about you in comparison with, with them. And if what and if you have something in common. Uh, so I was thinking about Edouard Louis, for instance, um, Abdelataya, um, who else? Nina Murawi, of course. I mean, writers who've, for the last 10 years, young French writers who've been translated to Swedish and very loved and very read here. And I was thinking that if you have something in common, because you're all very different writers, it is sort of... Um, depicting French hypocrisy. No? <laughs> uh, I'm thinking particularly about Abdel Atayah's last novel, you know, which is about sort of um, the, the, um, the children of uh, the, the colonial sort of, um, um, yeah, the colonial uh, power, uh, thinking about themselves as, you know, extremely progressive. Um, belonging to uh, to the intellectual left and and but at the same time uh, cherishing sort of uh, the um, heritage of colonialism, you know. And I was thinking there is something there, <laughs> sort of this this unveiling of of, of French hypocrisy. <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> Do you do you feel related to to these writers, and do you feel that there is something there that you have in common? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, can I can I say that what we have in common is like an unveiling of the hypocrisy? I don't know. Uh, I think, I think what I feel in common uh, with uh, uh, with yeah, some of the uh, young writers or uh, writers of my age <laughs> uh, appearing today, it's um, it's this class mobility thing yeah. that put us in between, mm. uh, and so so you know we don't belong. Uh, anywhere exactly, and so we can have a sharp look on both sides. Mm. Uh, you know, like saying, like uh, I felt, you know, like I felt completely unable to uh, to stay in the in the world I was, uh, uh, you know, I was born in. Like uh, I wanted more, mm. uh, and uh, and things seemed way more beautiful and uh, and interesting in the upper class. And then I arrived there, and uh, and it was 
uh, way too often just a, a varnish. Uh, but people didn't enjoy what they had and what, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, like it, I don't know, it was such a, such a waste. Like, uh, <laughs> no, well, I'm sorry, it's, you know, like when I, when I got to Paris and when I started, yeah, studying and uh, when I uh, went, uh, when I went to the Ecole Normale Supérieure and I was, come on, like, uh, you know, like uh, you were given books your whole life, you were taken to theater, to museums, you've lived in different countries, you speak several languages, uh, and, and it doesn't, you know, like, it doesn't touch you. Uh, it, it's just something that you're going to use to, uh, yeah, that you're going to use as a social status. Like you're not moved by all the beauty you get to contemplate in your short life. Mm. This is a waste. I should have had it. Uh, <laughs> I would have been happy with it. You know, like uh, mm. uh, I would have bathed and and rejoice in all that. Uh, and uh, <laughs> now you yeah. sound like Naima. <laughs> <laughs> Because she actually talks about this, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> because she works in the art gallery, and it's yeah. completely, yeah, it's completely crazy for her that it's not about uh, that. It's not about getting ecstatic in front of art. That it's just like something that you do because uh, you're in the intellectual bourgeoisie, and so you. Mm. Um, but yeah, so mm. yeah, so maybe maybe. But isn't that hypocrisy? Though? Yeah, maybe this is hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe, mm. maybe it is. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it's this this weird place yeah. being between two uh, between two worlds and uh, and uh, <laughs> and having this you know this weird impression that no one can insult them but you. Like you know, if the upper class insult the people uh, you grew up with, you think that like that's really like that's the most shitty elitistic gesture. And you want to defend your people, mm. but uh, but when the people you grew up with tell you that you're snobbish and elitistic and that uh, all all of that in the upper class, they're just you know uh, they don't know what real life is, then you get really angry as well. So you're the only one being in the middle, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. So yeah, maybe it's about hypocrisy. <laughs> Alice Sanitaire. Thank you so much for being thank with you. us tonight and thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>